You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. everybody on today's episode we're actually going to take the excuse of the monday episode to talk about split testing i thought the context could be split testing when it comes to your food your fitness and your sleep and i guess we could also talk about split testing in terms of how is my uh, co-host doing today apparently last week uh you were doing great but not quite well (laughs) how are you doing today oh i'm doing quite well today jonathan i actually got a message from rob who works on our educators team and he's like you said you were doing great, not quite well. What's going on? <laughs> Is everything okay? Yeah. <laughs> what, what what happened over the weekend that prompted great? Yeah, we've got to split test why I said great instead of quite well. But no, I I, I feel like a robot saying quite well every <laughs> single time. So I try to uh, mix it up every they made a t-shirt 10 or 15 episodes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, split testing is that idea, right? And I think this is something that we wanted to use as a framework for today. And it's one that David uh, Hauser kind of was talking about. Now, I think in business, you'll be the first to say that split testing is something that you have used with significant success. Yeah. And this is a concept I was wholly unaware of before I had websites. I had no sense that little input differences or little changes in wording can make an enormous difference in your actual results. The most obvious way that people split test when it comes to businesses and online businesses, certainly, is trying to get people to take some action. Let's say subscribe to an email list. So there are literally services that will give you, let's say, two different pages. So you come up with wording A and then wording B. Let's say to 100 random visitors, they give page A to 50 of them, and page B to the other 50 of them, and then they compare the results. And now naturally, that's not going to be statistically significant just to have 100, but you would probably do a couple thousand, and you would see what the result was. So the crazy thing, Jonathan, is I've noticed on my site, like Travel Miles 101, when we used to do this back in the day, was changing sometimes just the color of the button of the sign up, or instead of get your free course, sign up here, or just changing something minor, like a photo, could result in a 20, 30, 50% difference in email signups. And that's from one tiny little change. So I guess really the concept is continually iterate, right? So you split test that one thing, you get an answer that you're satisfied with, and then you don't just stop there. If that one split test could make a difference in 20 to 50%, Let's keep rocking and rolling with this. You just keep working and there's really no downside to it. It's just a simple little test. And you see, all right, is this going to produce a better outcome? If not, then we stop. If so, let's change it and let's move on to another test. So it's this continual iteration of process improvement. Actually, MK, let's bring you in on this. I know that with the company that you worked for, split testing and marketing was actually a huge piece of what you did. 
Yeah. So for a year and a half, I was actually a testing and optimization manager. I lived and breathed those button colors, Brad. (laughs) I made a huge difference. One of the great takeaways that I had from that time was I went to a conference and there was a really smart guy up on stage who is French and he worked for an optimization platform company. That was his technology. And he said, the chances that you will land on the right combination of word, colors, pictures, everything on your website the first time is so infinitesimally small that if you're not testing, you're not improving. And I actually took away from that a lot of details for my own side business, but also just for life. The chances that I land on the right diet and workout regimen and habits for myself the very first time that I try something is so infinitesimally small that if I'm not testing, I'm not improving, I'm moving backwards. I'm staying stuck in something that doesn't work. So Testing and optimization is huge in business, but it's been super impactful in life as well. Well, you're getting ahead of me. That was actually my question. Let me ask you this. (laughs) When you listen to that fellow making this keynote, this talk and actually addressing this idea of optimization, did you immediately take that back and start applying that to your personal life, to your health and fitness? Was that, is that a connection that you made then? Or is that something that now you're looking back and you're making that connection? I think looking back now, I'm making that connection. I'm kind of seeing at that time, I started to change up my workout regimen because I wasn't happy with where I was. And so I look back now and I'm like, oh, I started doing that all around the time that I was deep into like A-B testing and I had just gone to this conference. And so now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's what's prompted these other things. But at the time, I was just on this improvement bent. And it was also around the time that Jason and I had completely automated our finances. So all this mental effort that had been going to how do we automate saving and what we're spending and all those things was done. And I was like, I need something else to optimize. I feel like you guys are um, down below 10 minutes, <laughs> 10 yeah. minutes a month on your finances. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I think an important note here, especially when it comes to the business is like you said, the chance that you hit on the exact right strategy that first time is so fleetingly small, right? It's almost impossible to believe. And the, the interesting thing to me is sometimes your intuition is just so far off. Like it's almost mortifying, right? Like you think, you might brainstorm and you have a whole meeting with, you know, you and your business partners or your coworkers, and you come up with this grand strategy based on all the knowledge you have and everything you've seen. And then you split test it against something you think would never work. And the thing that, that, that part B just so outperforms your masterful part A, it's crazy, but the numbers don't lie. That's what's cool about this. It's applying a level of detail and scrutiny and math that you otherwise don't just based on intuition. MK, you were saying just a second ago, you were kind of actually making the comparison to what it would, what would it look like to split test and apply that to your health and fitness. And that's so interesting because that's what David and his book was discussing as well. Brad, I know that this for you, this was one of the reasons that you got so excited about interviewing him. And when we were talking behind the scenes ahead of that interview, this was one of the main ideas that you came to me, this idea that you could apply those same principles that you've seen work in your business and actually apply it to your health and fitness. And I'm curious for you, as you started to implement that, you know, what were your big realizations? Yeah, I mean, this has been a significant part of my life for the last handful of years. I look at myself now and say, oh, I'm in you know reasonably good shape. I'm sleeping better than I've ever been. I'm fitter and overall healthier, but I can't really point to anything specifically and say like, oh, I went on a crash diet or, oh, I did 90 days of three hours a day of exercise. It was nothing like that. And I look at that as a good thing. I look at it as this has been continual improvement from a point of where I really honestly wasn't that healthy. 
I mean, I look, I, it was crazy, Jonathan. I, I looked at a picture. I have to show you this. You will not recognize me. I looked at a picture when we first moved down here, Laura and I, we went to some historical site in the Richmond area and, and we took a picture. I look like a different human being. I was probably 40 pounds heavier. I just looked disheveled. Like it was just like a, like a total mess. And, and I was 10 plus years younger. I was probably in my late twenties at that point. And I mean, theoretically you think, oh, a 28 year old freshly married guy is going to be in better shape than a a 40 year old dad of two. But, but in my case, that has proven the complete opposite. And it really has stemmed from just trying to be a little bit better. This is what we talk about with Phi. It's the same framework, guys. It really is. It's just that aggregation of marginal gains. It's looking for little ways to improve and make your life better. And sleep has probably been the biggest thing. Nutrition and fitness are a close second and third. If you get those three things right, you're going to be a pretty happy and healthy person. And if you want to focus on what you actually said there, Brad, the the two things that really stood out to me, the fact that at the age of 40, you feel like you're in the best shape you've ever been compared to 28. So, and also the the life stage difference there. So now, you know, 40 year old father of two, 28 year old dinks, right? (laughs) There's some built in advantages there on the one end versus the other. But because along the way you have increasing bandwidth in your life and because you know to apply that bandwidth in that space to really figuring out what works for you, you've ended up in this place. And the other thing is, and this is to your point, you said it wasn't because of a crash diet. It wasn't because of massive amounts of willpower. It it was because you found a lifestyle that works for you, right? And I think my biggest criticism, my internal criticism of myself is that I always think it's about the 12-week transformation. It's about the extreme willpower. It's about the me becoming a different person in order to get these results. And then when it doesn't work or it doesn't work as fast as as I think it's going to work or when I go off the rails at some point because it was unsustainable for various reasons that we can get into, then I'm the failure, right? And it was a problem with me. The system would have worked. It would have worked, but it was a problem with me. And I think there's this tendency that all of us have to think that, what works for someone else has to work for me or that I have to do what that person did in order to get those results instead of actually being able to internalize and say, what is my criteria for success? And then what would be a system that would allow me to get the results while fitting into the lifestyle that I want and kind of engineering that in order to do that, it requires intentionality and actually being willing to say, you know, split test it. Does this work? Does it not work? How do I feel evaluating that? And you need some criteria in order to be able to do that. I think in order to reverse engineer this for an individual, recognizing that the results that you come up with may not be the same as mine, but I think that because I've tried so many different diets and I have had success and failure with all of them, depending on what was going on, but in terms of long-term, never feeling like I hit that balance point, I think I should talk about usually like how it goes downhill, how it starts and how it goes downhill. I get really motivated. Maybe, you know, it's the fall of a year and the new year's coming up and I start doing all my preparation. I'm gonna be this better person, right? And I get excited about one diet or another. Maybe it's, I'm just gonna eat less calories. Maybe I'm gonna go on this high protein diet. Maybe I'm gonna track all my calories. Maybe I'm going to go vegan. Maybe I'm going to, you know, count my macros. Maybe I'm going to, you know, whatever, you know, add all of these in and I get this regimen in place and I just do, right? Extreme levels of discipline, map out all my meals, and that works for a period of time, but then a couple things happen because I'm not listening to myself. I'm just trying to rigidly adhere to this diet or this exercise plan. 
I'm sore, I'm achy, my body, I can't, I'm having trouble getting up in the morning. I have no energy. I have this brain fog that the caffeine can't help me break through. I'm constantly hungry. And my willpower, as it's being eroded by the level of my workouts, as I get closer to five or six or 7 p.m., I'm just craving something. And while I'm able to resist that for one or two weeks, the first time that I'm at a social function, because I'm constantly hungry, my willpower is completely eroded by this point in time. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, and I finally just give in. I have whatever, the pizza, the ice cream, the caffeine, all that, you know, all that stuff to make up for it. And then, wow, that was what I was missing, right? I mean, why would anybody go to those links and then, the, all right, well, the, you know, and then apparently I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough willpower to make it to the end. So what was the point? I'm just, you know, I, you just, at some point it's just attrition, right? You can't, you can't come back from that because that failure, you know, to maintain that willpower and not do these actions that you said you were not going to do indicates that this isn't going to work for you. So you just give up. But I think the big things for me, whenever I'm evaluating the diet is, am I having cravings, right? Cravings. What are my energy levels? How much does this diet success depend on my caffeine intake? And am I enjoying it? Does it fit into my lifestyle? Is it convenient? Do I feel like a prisoner of my goals? I think with any diet that I've really thrown myself at, those have been the things in varying degrees that I felt that I've never taken a step back and say, what would it look like to solve this? Yeah, and what you just said there, am I enjoying it? If it's deprivation, it is never gonna work. It just isn't. Obviously, there are some few people out there who can follow a diet to the T over, let's use a five period, 30 to 50 years and stick to it and measure everything. And that's wonderful for those people. But I think that's few and far between. So, I mean, for me, it's about creating a framework of a life that just works. I mean, you use some, some really loaded language in there that I'm a failure if I don't hit my goals or if I go back, I'm going to be a better person are you really a better person because you follow some macro thing? No, that's the internal language in your own head. To me, it's about these little changes. A lot of it is this split testing concept that we're talking about, which is, all right, find the big levers that work. So for me, it was without question, it was sleep. Sleep was the biggest thing. So many people go around, and, and this has been mitigated a lot with you know Jeff Bezos saying he gets eight plus hours of sleep and Ariana Huffington and her famous almost destroying her head by passing out. And now she's taken her time and energy and, and focused on sleep and why it's so important. So the message is changing, but for so many decades, it was, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead or, oh, I only need four hours of sleep a night. There's basically nobody who needs four hours of sleep a night. There's basically nobody who needs six hours of sleep a night. If you listen to people like Matthew Walker, who wrote Why We Sleep, he said the shortest phenotype is needing 6.25 hours of sleep. And that's only like one or 2% of the population. So anybody out there who thinks they're getting by and thriving on four five, six hours of sleep really is kidding themselves. So for me, then it came down to, all right, how can I improve my sleep? It was reading books, Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson was a really great one. And just little tips. And you just try to figure out what works. So we, as we mentioned, I think on the, the last podcast, we got blackout curtains. My neighborhood, a lot of people leave their front lights on and it's really distracting and it's really annoying. You don't think you notice that, but when you read these books and listen to these podcasts, you realize that there are tests where if someone shines a tiny little pinprick of a light on like your foot, it actually impacts your sleep. 
They have studies of these really? things. So yeah, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. And you have no concept of it, yet it impacts you. Now, granted, I am not a scientist. I don't play one on TV. This is just <laughs> the reading, <laughs> reading that I've done. But when you hear it over and over again from different various reputable sources, it starts adding up. We got, honestly, very expensive blackout curtains. They were like 50 or $60 a window, which maybe is expensive for me. And these things shut out light completely, entirely. You basically, you can't see in your room at all. I mean, my daughter, Anna, has even taken this and like masking tape down like the blackout curtains to the side so there's no light at all. So, I mean, that was an obvious win for us. Sleeping in the cold is another thing that across all these sources I have identified as something that's really important. So now we're getting into the fall here. We do not turn the heat on at night. It's not about cost savings. We're not trying to be cheap. We just know that for us, we sleep wonderfully when it's 62 or 63 degrees in the house. Everybody gets to use those quilts. They do. It's it's amazing. (laughs) I mean, think about how you love just cozying up under those covers, right? It is one of these facts, according to what I've read again, over and over again, that sleeping in the cold is important. So now in the summer, that means on the other side of the coin, we're turning on the air conditioner a little bit more than we'd like. We don't turn it on during the day all that much. We keep the house pretty warm, but it's important to us to sleep in the cold. So we do that. I mean, you can get down the rabbit hole of this, Jonathan, and you see people with like blue blocker glasses that I haven't gone that far, but I've certainly turned on blue blocker on on my computer and on my cell phone. So just trying to keep those wavelengths of light out of your brain. And it's one of these things like you can keep going down the rabbit hole, but for me, it's just the high level stuff. It's sleep in the cold, sleep on a comfortable bed. I bought these mattress toppers that are just super duper comfortable. It was like 30 bucks, you know, instead of sleeping on a decent to hard mattress, I got a $30 mattress uh, topper and it's extraordinarily comfortable. So just these little things and I just keep, I just keep looking for them. But honestly, I think I'm $100 in or less just in our bedroom alone. You know, I think if we're going to kind of go through these, um, these, the trifecta here, food, fitness, and sleep, we're going to talk about sleep first. There's probably other, a few other things in the sleep hygiene space that you could talk about. You know, one, you talked about removing light sources, but I mean, your electronic devices of which I am more guilty than most, all of them have incredibly obnoxious LEDs. Like, inc- like it's actually, they went and found the most likely to be visible, which almost by definition means the most likely to be obnoxious and put that one on there. Although there's plenty of electronics, I actually have started going through and putting like duct tape or gaffers tape over various of these LED lights on these different electronic devices. That's one. I mean, I would imagine too, for you, if the bedroom is for sleep, removing the TV out of the bedroom would be another one if that's an issue. And so if you have these spaces for different things, if the bedroom is your, the the room where like you just finished your entire day, then I, maybe that's one thing. But if you have sleep issues, then moving the bed, the TV out of the bedroom. So the bedroom is where we associate with, I guess, reading or with going to sleep that one of those two activities in order to encourage, you know, proper sleep hygiene. Yeah, agreed. And, and, and you use the phrase sleep issues in there. And, and I would argue this is for everybody, regardless of whether you self-identify as having sleep issues or not. It's sleep is essential. I, I would argue it is the single most essential thing to being a high performer. There's almost no way to show up unless you're getting quality sleep. So yeah, I mean, I do that when I go to hotel rooms. I unplug the alarm clock because who the hell wants that? You don't need an alarm clock if you're financially independent. What's what's this about? (laughs) Come on now. All the little lights. Yeah, I try to cover them up with all the extra pillows they have in in the room. I mean, it's just what I do at this point. It's just, it's Mm. these little things, but they really do make a difference. 
And beyond just being a high performer. So if you think about it, if you've had a horrible night's sleep for several nights in a row, you go into work, you're exhausted. You may not even notice you're exhausted. And then the first coworker is like, here's a donut. Do you want to go out to lunch with Mm. us? You know, if part of your saving plan was I'm going to bring my lunch every day and you've been exhausted all week, how difficult is it for you to just stick to your goals, let alone be a high performer, but to stick to the commitments you've made to yourself? Yeah. So willpower, right? I mean, you know, that internal resolve that allows you to focus on the things that you said you're important. If your lack of sleep is slowly depriving you of that, then then start there. Let's go ahead and switch gears. I want to go ahead and move over and talk about, in this case, fitness, Brad, let's go, we'll save food for last. Let's go and talk about fitness just for a second here. So all of us need to be more active generally. It's very easy to do less when you live in a society that has so much convenience afforded to you. It's actually hard to recognize in inside, at least inside the United States, how much convenience has removed our requirements for various forms of exercise. I mean, you can go to Walmart and literally get everything under the sun. Something like getting water, you know, would be a much more complicated endeavor or fuel would be a much more complicated endeavor in various parts of the world. I think generally it's it's do more, but at the same point, figuring out a way to make it a lifestyle and recognizing that you don't have to do the exact same thing as everyone else is pretty empowering. Yeah, it certainly is. And I mean, this really is very personal. And for me with fitness, it's a broader question of what am I looking to get out of this? And I think this is really, really personal. Obviously, you can say to be healthy. Am I looking to be strong? Am I looking to look good? Let's not discount that vanity has some aspect of of why people exercise. I think also, how much time are you looking to put into this? Are you trying to get an 80-20 out of this where minimal inputs get great results. I mean, some people genuinely enjoy exercise, right? And I mean, we obviously, we have many, many thousands of uh, runners and long distance runners in the audience as as we've learned in, in past episodes. And if I said, hey, I only want to exercise two or three hours a week. I mean, some people genuinely enjoy running for 10 plus hours a week. That would be a detriment to their Talk life. about so. a different phenotype. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't even, I personally cannot even imagine. So MK, you're, are you a big long distance runner? Yes. So I've done five half marathons. And so again, going back to the testing, like I realized that when I have a date on the calendar for a race, I will stick to my training plan. I will run, I will get it done. And then after the race, I do not want to look at my running shoes for a month and then I can go back to it. So yeah, I'm a long distance runner. I love it, but I do get to a point where I hate it. And that's where I've tested to figure out what I need to do in the in-between. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there are long distance runners who need to do it every day or five to six times a week because it makes their brain better. It's that point, almost like meditation where that's their time to themselves and to take that away from them because, oh, you could do it more efficiently doing some other cockamamie scheme. Like that's not what they're looking to get out of exercise. So honestly, Jonathan, that to me is is the very first step is figure out what you're looking for. I know personally, I'm looking for the 80-20. I'm not looking to spend 10 to 20 hours a week exercising. That's just not something that's plausible really for my life, nor is it what I'm going for. So at this point, I think I'm exercising probably three to four hours a week. And really intense exercise is probably much less than that because that's probably three to four CrossFit classes a week. I think I'm getting, like I said, the 80-20 out of this. I think I'm getting the best results that I've seen with minimal inputs. Like I've certainly spent weeks and, and years where I spent many more hours in the gym, but it all felt kind of fruitless. Like I had no particular goal or plan or, or anything. I would just show up and just kind of do it willy nilly. And it didn't 
It just didn't work for me. Whereas I've found now that showing up at this CrossFit class, and it doesn't have to be CrossFit, it can be anything, obviously. There are so many of these group exercise classes. I personally enjoy group exercise classes. That's my thing. In this season of life, it happens to be CrossFit. Who knows what it'll be five years from now. But for me, that motivation of having other people next to me working their tails off and just suffering and enjoying all at once, that lights me up. I know we've tried different things. We talk about split testing, and Jonathan, I obviously want to get you in here on on what you've been doing recently. But I mean, I've tried a bunch of different things over the last couple of years. Earlier this year, I did a program called Strong Lifts, and it was intense barbell training three or four days a week. I got really strong, for me at least, in that time period. But I found that when I stopped, the strength just went away. That, you talk about split testing, I realized that while that wasn't a complete waste of time, because during that time period I was enjoying it and I did get stronger, it went away and that wasn't sustainable. Like I'm not gonna do that three days a week for the rest of my life. I just, I just knew that wasn't gonna happen. So for me it was, I realized, okay, that was an interesting experiment, but that's not something I'll ever do again in that intense manner. Because again, it, it wasn't sustainable for my life. And I think that's a key component of putting these process improvements into your life. And, and that kind of goes back to when we were talking about you and your diet and nutrition is if it's not sustainable, if it's something you feel like you're gonna fall off the wagon at any moment because of willpower, just sheer willpower, that is not a sustainable plan going forward. Yeah, so you know, I kind of going through my own version of this as well. Um, I think in general, all of us need to live more active lifestyles, right? I mean, that, that's one thing. It's so easy to be sedentary. As for what that actually looks like, I'm doing CrossFit with you right now. I'm really enjoying it. That's fitting in my season of life. I've not, I mean, I think I've done three workouts a week, one time, two seems to be more of kind of like my steady state, but there's other variations of this as well. And just for people in the audience, there's two others that I wanted to mention. One is uh, it's F3 or F cubed. I'm not sure how they pronounce it, but that's a national network of free peer-led workouts for men. The other one is November Project. This is a free fitness movement that it, there's locations all across the country. You can Google both those. We'll have the links in the show notes. You can find something in your area. I think the general idea is like you need to do something that stretches you. I mean, this isn't always about finding the easiest day possible. I mean, sometimes you need to lean into hard stuff. Do something hard. This is something that Pete from Mr. Money Mustache has said a couple times in a couple different ways. Like with CrossFit, you're going to do something hard. It's only going to last 30 minutes to an hour. In fact, if it's an hour long, the first 30 minutes are a warm up, which is adds all these other benefits. But for 30 minutes or so, you're going to work to the outer limits of what you can do. You know, you're not going to be working at the same levels, highest performers in the gym, but you're going to be working at your upper limits because there's no way to avoid it. And that's why I think there is something to be said for if you're not internally motivated to get a workout partner, to go to a group fitness project, like one of these two that I just mentioned, or to do something like CrossFit, anything, any variation thereof, but find something that pushes you to do something hard. I am never internally motivated to do a burpee on my own. Like, Sometimes I'm doing it just to test. Will I actually in a vacuum without someone else telling me do a burpee? Well, I'll try it. But like, that's just not my bias. And I think the key is find something that makes you work hard. My simplification of that is do something hard at least every other day. Never take two days off. Never take three days off. Never go a week without anything hard in your life, right? So I think those are like, that's my simplification now. 
if I can use the cadence of CrossFit or November Project or one of these other types of programs and I can build some sort of interval in my life where I know I have those anchor points and then I do something on my own that maybe isn't going to be at the upper limits, but because I have this pacing in my life, I have this, you know, I'm doing something and maybe maybe it's a run, maybe it's a workout in the garage, maybe it's pushups, maybe it's something with my family, but be active work towards something, make this a lifestyle and make sure it's enjoyable. Make sure there's some variation in there. In terms of the 80-20, my goals are no longer, you know, no longer, right? My, my goals are not to be a world-class bodybuilder. That's not personally for me, that doesn't hold the, the appeal, but to maintain a level of fitness over the next several decades, something that is sustainable for me, that allows me to feel confident with my health and fitness goals. That's it. And this works for me. Never go more than a day without working out. You know, if, if you can say that you can take a day off fine and you can work out every day if you want to in different ways, but never, never take two days off, never take three days off, never go a week without. Cause you know, like one day you've just taken a day off two days and it's becoming a pattern. So that's kind of like where I'm at. That's my 80-20 of what I'm doing. And I certainly do like throwing these CrossFits in there because I would never work that hard by myself. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's also important while we're talking about these kind of upper end of the fitness scale with CrossFit and strong lifts and things like this, just getting started with a walk can make a huge difference in your life. Split test that. I think about my dad, who unfortunately is not in the greatest of health He's had some hip pain and he actually got a cortisone shot recently. He's finally at a point where he's pain-free, but he's been sedentary for so long that it's just become a way of life. I said to him just the other day, all right, dad, here's, here's your reprieve, right? You got this shot. You've got a couple of months of pain-free. Here's your chance to actually get healthy instead of just this being a slow march to oblivion, which is really sad, but Unfortunately, that's where we are right now. I mean, for him, it would quite literally start with walking 100 yards mm. or 50 yards in like a day. I kid you not. And then you just walk a couple feet further the next day and just keep adding to it, keep adding to it. All of a sudden, it's a positive feedback loop. You start losing some weight. Your joints start feeling a little better. Your brain starts clearing up. You have some time and space to yourself where in his case, he's not sitting in front of the TV 16 hours a day. Maybe he's outside in nature thinking to himself. Maybe by having this physical activity, he's sleeping better. And it's this positive feedback loop. You don't know until you quite literally step out the door that very first time and walk just for a minute. And this is not just for my dad. Assuredly, there are people out there listening to this who they have a similar situation. It's easy to stay on the couch. Believe me, I know it's easy to stay on the couch. But you just get up and it doesn't have to be this grand plan. It can just start with a one minute walk. And don't think, oh, that's nothing. What is that gonna do? It's exactly what we talk about with compounding, right? It's exactly what we talk about with Phi. You have to get started. Put those first couple dollars in the bank. Save every week. It's the same thing with this. Walk that minute the first day. Walk two minutes the second day, or I don't care if you can't work up to two minutes until the second week, but just do something, get up off the couch and make a difference in your life. You know, obviously you can tell I'm, there's some emotion here because this is very personal for me with my dad. And if somebody out there can change, maybe he can, but if somebody out there can change, hear my words and get up off the couch and take that one minute walk, it will lead to good things. I assure you. 
Brad, that's powerful. There's so many, there is a point at which you, you could let yourself go to the point where you can't come back. And the point of encouragement is there is for the vast, vast, vast majority of our audience. They're not there yet. Right now, these small choices can completely change the direction that they're headed. And obviously with their finances, but in the context of today's conversation, these small steps, it's not necessarily the CrossFit workout. It's just, what are you doing right now? And if that is, I get home and I sit on the couch and I stay there through the weekend and then I just start back. Let's just change that narrative. Let's apply this intentionality to that. I think the last leg of what we wanted to cover in this episode is talking about the diet, right? And that's the third aspect of this. And also, I guess, as a part of the diet, the hydration as well, you know, like if we're going to talk about sleep patterns and we're going to talk about fitness levels, your hydration status is key for both of those. Keeping water readily available is huge. You know, I, I actually have, it's funny, actually I have two water bottles. I have a one gallon jug right? Because I don't like to carry around a one gallon jug, but I have the subjective of nailing this one gallon of water a day. I have my, you know, my Nalgene, you know, that one liter red bottle. And, and I just fill that up throughout the day. And that's like my way of building a framework for my goal of roughly getting about a gallon a day. That's what I do for my water. And I know, you know, there's many other variations of that. Just keep refilling that cup, whatever, try to get to the point where you're having to go to the restroom several times a day. That's a good indicator that you are hydrating your body with regards to the food though you know, split test. This is where I really wanted to spend the time with split testing because I think at this point, I've pretty much done all of them. And I've rarely gotten the projected results that everybody said I would get with those if I did this. But at the same point, I've learned little lessons about myself that may or may not be unique to me. But when I'm actually taking the time, instead of saying, well, I'm going to do this diet or I'm going to do that diet, I say, okay, this aspect worked incredibly well for me. What if I paired these together? That's the portion for me that was saying, huh, what if you created something that worked for you? And then what if you applied this framework? Maybe it would be helpful for other people. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, like you said, I've tried all of them. It's funny how you can think of this multiple different ways. And I, th I think a lot of people get bogged down in the terminology of, oh, I'm on the keto diet, or, oh, I'm on the Atkins diet, or I'm on this or that. To me, personally, that seems like a distraction, but that's because I've been approaching it from this concept of split testing and just trying to get as much information as I can from a variety of sources that I trust and just then figuring out what works for me. And like I said in the episode with David, I have determined, and, and this is really for the very first time in my life, because I've applied some level of scrutiny to it, that I have some food sensitivities. Now, I'm still trying to figure out what they are, but because I was so blissfully unaware, and I think, honestly, most people are like this, that you don't think, I had that meal, or I put that food in my body, and then X number of hours later, I had a desperate need for a nap, or I had a headache or I had brain fog or, oh, my throat felt a little closed up. You don't normally put two and two together and say, oh, maybe that had something to do with what I just ate at my last meal. Honestly, maybe I'm the only idiot out there. I, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to admit that. But for 40 years, and I think I'm a reasonably intelligent guy, maybe reasonably is the operative word there. But for 40 years, I had no sense that that was even possible. It never crossed my mind until I started this split testing and this research. Now I'm at the point where even Laura now notices, oh, you're doing that thing where, it, you know, almost like a post-nasal drip after a meal. It'll be eight o'clock and we'll be hanging out with the family and I'm 
trying to clear my throat. She's like, oh, that's crazy. Like you were fine all day and something we ate for dinner caused that. Now we're trying to identify it and that's that without going to a doctor and, and testing for this, it does take a little bit of time, but it is something we're applying scrutiny to. And I think just that bare bones basic concept that what you put in your body leads to a certain outcome is really important for everybody hearing my voice to understand. So if that's the one takeaway from everything that I personally have said this episode, that would be wonderful. Is just walk away saying, all right, I need to pay attention to this because it actually does matter. Now, obviously, Jonathan, we can talk about all the specific diets and the high fat and low carb and cutting out sugar and all these things, and I want to. But I think to me, that is the big takeaway that I've had in my own personal life is that what I eat matters. Yeah, I mean, if I were going to talk about my own iteration and my own journey, I think what you're talking about is how do I feel after I eat this is a really important step. And also, and David talked about this, a little bit of mindfulness and intentionality, actually savoring the food that's actually in your mouth as opposed to just coming to the end of it because you're not, it takes your body about 20 to 30 minutes for those hunger cues to start to go away. So being able to apply some intentionality to the food you're actually eating is a big deal. I finish most of my meals with it about two and a half minutes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in a vacuum. I think that was one thing. So if I pay attention, one, if I actually slow down during the meal, there's a couple other components to this from a lifestyle perspective. If you are eating in the context of a family meal, I mean, this may be the one landing pad that you have to all discuss each other's day, you know, use this as an opportunity to stretch that out. Give your hunger cues a chance to catch up too. I've noticed that my hunger cues tend to stay at bay if I also make sure that I'm hydrated. Are you drinking enough water, you know, right along with this? And this is another thing I found. I'm rarely satisfied by alcoholic beverages or carbonated beverages or, you know, like sodas or whatever, like those do not hydrate me. I mean, they just in increase the cravings for more down the road. So the only thing that we drink with any consistency is, you know, water and various forms of non-dairy, you know, milk. So like almond milk, et cetera, um, tons of water. And our primary drink at dinner is, is water. There's a couple of things that I wanted to point out there. I have no, when I look at like thinking about the actual foods and how I react to those foods. I have an absurd, most of us do, an absurd addiction to sugar. Over time, that can be dulled if you remove it for an extended period of time. But then that first time that it comes back, man, it, it comes back fast and it comes back active. And it's not always sugar is in spoonfuls, tablespoons of sugar. It could be baked goods that have lots of sugar in it. It could be processed goods, like even something that's marketed as low fat and healthy, like Belveda cookies, whatever it is, it's marketed as a healthy snack. Maybe you give it to your kids. It could be yogurt, fruit on the bottom, cups of yogurt. The, the fact that they have to have a, a label for no additional sugar added to yogurt should tell you that yogurt doesn't need to come with this much sugar. If it is ridiculously delicious, it is likely loaded with sugar. And that includes Shibani, my friends, includes Shibani. And so- you know, recognizing that these things, if sugar is one of my triggers that sends me off the rails, noticing when is that entering my life and looking for the patterns, not between this one specific thing, but this in general, what is, and, and I rarely have these sorts of cravings when I get a full meal that has a lot of protein in it and a lot of fat in it. It's largely tied to carbs and to refined sugar. You know, you were talking about whole grains, like whole grains are not this panacea of, oh, if I can just have whole grains, then I'm going to be fine. For me, what I've noticed over time of all the different diets, the ones that 
have significant levels of carbs or I don't put restrictions on my carbs end up with me having many more cravings, a lot less self-control, and honestly, less energy. This is what I've noticed about myself. When I go on a bender and I have tons of carbs, the next day I wake up lethargic. The next day I'm, I'm just tired. I'm tired for days. And as I slowly start to deplete, you know, those carbs that my body is holding on to, I get a lot of that energy back. So recognizing that about myself for me has slowly steered me towards moderate levels of protein, somewhat higher levels of fat. And what I've done over time by recognizing that because I've tried all these different diets and many of them have involved me like counting calories or if not counting calories, maybe counting macros. If it fits your macro is a big thing. And I thought maybe it was just a matter of balance, right? It was just a matter of me hitting these certain macros. But I, but I realized one, the carbs really do drain my energy levels and give me a lot more, cra like I crave stuff in the evening if I have significant carbs throughout the day. And then two, it feels like a prison where I'm always tied to having to meet this criteria. And just at this stage in my life, I don't want to count calories. I don't want to, I want to just be full. I want to have a reasonable, healthy thing. And I don't want to crave food throughout the day. So those have been kind of the things that I've been battling. If you go back to the beginning, it was, what does it look like to not have lethargy, not have cravings, not really be thinking about food. I don't want to, I don't want to go through my day thinking about food. I want it to be something that I eat because your body needs sustenance, but not be driven by it and kind of have this, I don't know. I, I want it to almost be an afterthought. It, it's something that I need in order to have a, a healthy life. Yeah. No, I love that. And, and I think it really is very, very personal and it's not, oh, this is a healthy food and this is an unhealthy food. And those are just the rules and it works that way for everybody because that's not real life. I mean, people react to different foods. I know I, I listen to a lot of health podcasts and I was listening to The Drive by Dr. Peter Atia, which to me is maybe the, the single best one. I think he was talking about some kind of uh, food that he ate in the airport and he tried to find like the ostensibly like the best food that he could find. I feel like it was like trail mix or, or something like that, or a granola bar, I forget the exact, but it spiked his blood sugar to like an astronomical amount. Like he was absolutely floored by that. And a similar one is I listened to a podcast called Broken Brain. The host was talking about a smoothie that he made and they were all, again, quote unquote, healthy items that went into there. He wound up realizing that it was just causing this, this huge reaction it was almost like an elimination diet, Jonathan, for his, his smoothie. And he realized that it was blueberries. Blueberries, which most people think are a superfood, were causing an immense amount of issue for him. Really? And right, I mean, right. I mean, that's your reaction is really like, how is that possible? It's because not every food works for everybody. I think this is not Brad and Jonathan standing here and trying to give you health advice on what is the perfect way. We're not experts on this. But what we are saying is pay attention and test for yourself, okay? That is the crucial part here. That is the takeaway from this episode. So for me, I've determined that cutting out sugar, cutting out carbs as much as I can, I'm not a crazy person about it. I still gladly eat my pizza and enjoy some snacks of chips every now and again. Again, I'm not a crazy person, but I try to avoid carbs if I possibly can and trying to eat higher fat and higher protein so, oh, is it a, a real hardship for me to eat more fat and have avocados? No, I, I love avocados. I would eat them 21 meals a week if I could, right? If they were in season all the time. But these are the general things that I've found that I keep in mind. So it's cut sugar, cut carbs, add fat, and add protein. 
but also it's split testing. Jonathan, you showed me those delicious protein shakes that you got at Costco, and, and we bought them for months and months and months. And I mean, frankly, I love the taste of these things, love, I mean, absolutely love, but I found that it wasn't doing anything for me. I wasn't putting off meals or it wasn't replacing anything. It was just me drinking this thing and getting no discernible benefit that I could tell from it other than enjoyment for 30 seconds while I drank the thing. And it was like a dollar and change for each protein drink. So honestly, at this point, we stopped buying them because now it's just a little bit of testing that I did in my own life. Now, I know you still drink them and love them, and I suspect you get benefit from them, but that was just something after putting some level of scrutiny, I realized, okay, this just isn't working for me. Yeah, I mean, another example of something that I've tested in my personal life is over the last several years, I've done a bunch of versions of different types of fasting. I've talked about that, and I've had various levels of success with them, but the one that when I started thinking about what is my perfect lifestyle habit, what does it look like? It involves intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is a complicated way for many people of just saying, stop eating after dinner and skip breakfast, you know, and there's different variations. You can be more or less extreme, but like one thing I noticed when I was doing it and I was implementing it on a significant basis, one, by having that hard stop, that structure where I've stopped eating after dinner, usually around six or seven o'clock that cut out all the midnight snacking, all the late snacking, that bowl of ice cream, there's no expectation that you're going to have dessert anymore, right? I mean, it just kind of ends it. No, you're done. Make sure you have a big dinner, something that's going to satisfy you. Drink plenty of water, have some tea if you want to, you know, afterwards. And then that means that I wake up on an empty stomach. And there's two things that, you know, tying this back to what we talked about, there's, there's two things that happen there. One, I wake up so much more alert when I don't have carbs that I've had, you know, late at night, you know, ice cream late at night, whatever your body is in rest and digest. Right. And once it comes to the end, you wake up like a bolt of lightning. So being able to wake up incredibly alert has been huge for me. And then two, and this is the other thing. Once I start eating, I start thinking about food a lot more. So it's almost like I can maintain levels of willpower and I'm actually not that hungry. So I'm alert and I'm not that hungry until I get to about 10.30 or so, 10.30, 11, and somewhere between 10 and 12, that's when I'm having my first meal of the day. But to have that level of energy that early in the morning, be able to bolt up, and then to have this window constricted, and I'm only eating maybe two, maybe three meals a day, I can apply all of my self-control to that window of time and then follow these general guidelines. That has worked exceedingly well for me, but like in a vacuum, where like maybe it was working, but then I decided to try something else just because shiny object syndrome, right? You move away from that and you don't think about what the benefits were. And so then when I was thinking about, all right, what does it look like to craft something that works? Like take the best of everything that has worked for me and then remove all the things that make my life more complicated. This is kind of how I landed on what I'm doing now. And, and I feel like this is really sustainable for me. So I'm having a moderate protein, slightly higher in fats. I am doing intermittent fasting now where I cut off what I'm eating after dinner. And then I'll have just, if I'm going to have anything else, it's going to be tea. And my wife and I drink tea together in the evening. And then I just don't have breakfast and I have that first meal in between 10 and 12. And so I think if you were, there's different types of intermittent fasting. In fact, there's an app that was recommended to me called Zero that you can use as a way of actually controlling the window in which you're eating. And you could do a 18-6, so 18 hours off, six hours of eating, or you could do a 16-8. You know, there's different variations of that but that's one I can kind of use in the background. And then I follow kind of like what David was talking about, a modified keto. I am not a keto purist where, you know, or an Atkins purist. I don't fit strictly into one of these molds. I'm not cutting sweet potatoes out of my diet. I'm not, I'm not afraid of butternut squash, these sorts of things. But what I will do in terms of mapping it out, and this actually goes to the finance part of this and the $2 per person per meal, 
applying that intentionality in the front end to, I want to have these delicious meals that I'm going to make. So what I do is I, on like a Sunday or Saturday on the weekend, I will go and I will look for four or five meals, right? And I will look for them generally on Pinterest, or I'll go to the vault where Laura's posted some of her $2 per person per meal, you know, rules. I will then take those and I will download them into an app called Paprika, which uh, was recommended to me by someone actually in our community, but it's this great tool that actually allows you to take the URL of any recipe that you're interested in, pull it into the app and it'll download it and segregate it into you know directions versus ingredients. I'll take all those ingredients, I'll map out what day I'm gonna have it. I'll take those ingredients and I'll add it to a grocery list. I'll take that grocery list, compare it to what's in my cabinets and get rid of anything I already have. I'll take that now this, what's left, what I actually need. And I will go to one of these online shopping sites. So like Wegmans has Instacart. A lot of places have a various online shopping capability, but Kroger has one called ClickList, just on Kroger.com. And I will put in my list of what I need right there. And then I will schedule a pickup. So now keep in mind, I'm only buying the items that I said that I wanted for these meals. So we did it recently. And for a whole week, all the meals came to like six or seven meals. The total list for the number of ingredients was like maybe a hundred bucks, 120 bucks, somewhere in that range. And that's going to feed our family of three eating individuals at the moment. And because I'm putting this amount of plan into it, it's kind of like once you create the plan and then actually have the food, the next thing, if you make the meals, I will eat them. So we make the meal for dinner and that's when it's fresh. And then I will have the meals for lunch, you know, the next day or two until it's gone. And then we end up having three or four awesome meals for dinner. And then we also have our leftovers, which are usually, uh, to, which is what we eat for lunch. And that just works. And then what I do be, to help Danny out, because she's at the stage where life is really busy with the kids. In many cases, now I'm actually making dinners. And this is where I throw on a podcast. Sometimes it's difficult to actually you know, find time to listen to additional podcasts, right? Because life gets in the way. So I will use this to maybe listen to something that we're researching for a future show or just listen to something that I'm going to enjoy at a personal level, listen to an audiobook. But how do you make it fun, right? How do you make it a lifestyle? It's something that I am able to help my wife take something off her plate. And at the same time, I'm able to multitask and listen to something that moves, you know, me forward, stimulates me. And so that's kind of how I've been able to take something that may have felt like a prison before and now make it feel more like a lifestyle. So Brad, I think if you listen, I think it was episode nine or 11 of our podcast, uh, we call it skinny waist, uh, fat wallet. I, you know, I think the slight pivot there would be, you know, do what works for you, right? Recognize that you get to iterate over time and what works for you in your twenties when you were in one particular life stage may not be what you do now. Your goals may be different. So maybe it's just fit waste, fit wallet, FW squared. I, you know, I love to, I love to make those bumper stickers, but, uh, I think it's cool to learn from each other, what works for each other, and to slowly look for patterns that you can incorporate in your life and realize that you don't need to be dogmatically held to someone else's official diet, right? Even this, even what we just talked about in the show, find what works for you, but really pay attention to how you feel. And if you're following something perfectly and you're miserable, that's a problem. You know, that's a problem and you should start thinking through that and figuring out what you can do. And it may not look like giving up and going back to the couch, but there might be a way that you can tune whatever it is that you're doing to make it work for your life. Your comments, your feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know how you're stuck. You know, let us know if this is something that you're working through, how you're stuck or how you're getting unstuck. We'll incorporate it on a future episode. But I love that, you know, we can always talk about this holistically. It's not just about your finances. It's about a life optimization strategy and one that makes you want to spend less time on the couch. <laughs> Let's go ahead and switch gears. MK, bring you back into this conversation. 
Yeah, I'm so excited to be able to bring you some really great feedback this week. So for a reminder for everybody who's been listening along for the past couple of weeks. So number one, we are about to close our Cities of Phi survey. So this is us looking for the best cities for Phi in the U.S., Again, international audience are going to do something for you later. So if you head over to choosefi.com slash cities of phi, C-I-T-I-E-S-O-F-F-I, that is going to help us to be able to determine some of the best domestic places that people can look to live or give some people some warm, fuzzy shout outs that they live in a great city for phi. And for the end of the year, our very last episode, we want to be celebrating all of your wins. So please send us at feedback at choosefi.com. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail. We also have a thread on Facebook. Tell us what your wins are this year. We want to shout them from the rooftop with you. So please help us do that. It's been a really positive thread to read on the Facebook page that we have that. So please continue to keep that going. Yeah, I want to hop in here and also get Brad, you to weigh in as well. But there is something so powerful about you leaving a voicemail with us to say, this is where I was at the beginning of the year. And thanks to the small actions, you know, Brad, this is something you ask every single week. What is a single action? There have been those of you that every single week comment on that thread. And unsurprisingly, when you take small actions every week, your life changes. Yeah, it's amazing how that works. You get a bunch of these little changes just over weeks, months, and years. And you have a better life. And sometimes you don't even realize you've done anything extraordinary because it just seemed like little things. And yeah, it's amazing. I cannot wait for that episode. It's coming out December 30th. And that's certainly going to be an annual thing where the last Monday episode of the year is just going to be this this amazing collection of wins. So please, please send it in. Feedback at choosefi.com. And you can leave a voicemail, chooseify.com slash voicemail. Or if you record it on your own and you want to just send us the link to it, that's totally fine too. But we, yeah, we're, we're going to share that on the final episode of the year for sure. Awesome. I'm so excited. That's been a really great thread to read. People posting awesome gifts too. So love the gifts. Uh, and then upcoming this weekend, we have some local groups that are meeting and it seems like potlucks and barbecues are on everybody's mind. I don't know if it's because it's November, people want to do Friendsgivings, but tomorrow, November 2nd, the San Diego local group is going to have a barbecue potluck social. So bring your best barbecue. And on November 3rd, Bend, Oregon is also having a brunch potluck. So potlucks are going on this weekend with Choosify local groups. And then the Choosify Atlanta group on November 22nd, so a little bit into the future, but want to make sure we get a lot of people going to that one. They're actually going to host a Choosify Junior Achievement event. So that's going to be really exciting. We love our connection that we have with Junior Achievement to help bring financial literacy. So that's going to be exciting. And we have one new local group in Redding, California. Welcome. Welcome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and switch gears. I know we finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. Right now we're doing our book, Chooseify, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. Or if you'd like to get a copy of David Hauser's book, Unstoppable, we'll do that one as well. Uh, the way this will work, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, leave us a short written review, and then send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and then we announce the winner on the Friday Roundup. So MK, how many winners do we have today? All right, guys. Today we have one winner, and that is Catherine. So Catherine writes, Brad and Jonathan, I just hit my one-year anniversary of listening to Chooseify, and it has changed my life. I know that because I downloaded an app based off an actionable tip from that first episode, and the app just notified me of that. I've been listening for one year. But back to Chooseify. Thanks to you and your guests, I have made changes both big, 
buying an investment property, index fund investing, calculating and increasing my savings rate, and small, bringing my lunch to work, making coffee at home, using the library, using Ibotta. I am on the road to Fi, and I am so glad I found Choose a Fi when I did. You keep Fi exciting, and I can't wait to implement even more of your tips. Thank you for everything you're doing. That's impressive, Catherine. Thank you for listening, and thank you for taking action, most importantly. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.